Buckle in. Blood pressure checks today. Take advantage of this great ministry following our service today. Saturday is our mother-daughter banquet. Joyce Mathias came to me several months ago and said she had a dream to bring it back. And we were hoping that maybe this first year we'd have like 50 to 60. We've got 160 people coming next Saturday for the mother-daughter banquet, which is awesome. But here's the catch. I need some of the able-bodied men to help me serve. We're going to put on dress slacks and a collared shirt, and we are going to serve. So if you can help me with that from like maybe 1030 to 130, 1030 to 2, that would be great. See me after service. I will get you signed up. Next Sunday morning during first service only, will be our end-of-the-year choir cantata. You may be saying, why am I telling you that? Because you come to second service. I think it'd be awesome if a hundred of us at least showed up at 8.15 next week, supported our choir, and then came back at 10.45 for the service that we're, we're typically used to. So I want to just plant that seed and prayerfully encourage you to think about going to first service next week and then come back to second service as well. Rotary Chicken Dinner. I'm a Rotarian. We do a yearly fundraising chicken dinner through Nelson's Fundraising in Springfield. The chicken is incredible. It's out of this world. Here's why I'm telling you that. I want you to buy a ticket or two or ten because all the money that's raised goes back to food pantries in our community, including the FCC food pantry. And so the more chicken dinner tickets you buy, the more our food pantry and other food pantries are blessed. It's going to be Tuesday, May 16, and you can get your tickets in the foyer following the service today or next Sunday. Or do we have any Rotarians selling tickets? I'll give you a little plug. Anybody here from Rotarian? Uh, Jared's waving his hand in the back. Check them out. They'll sell you a ticket. Okay, 5K to raise 5K. Saturday, May 20. We've got 50 signed up. I want 100 people to participate. So that means 50 of you need to sign up to either run, walk, or not even show up, but just pay your $20 and support a great cause. There are forms available at the Welcome Center. All the money raised supports our summer youth mission trip. And then finally, one service Sunday will be three weeks from today, Memorial Day weekend at 9.30 a.m. If you show up at 10.45, it's too late. You'll miss the show, miss the service. So be here at 9.30 on Sunday, May 28. Last announcement, actually two more. We are doing a men's mission trip to Casas Por Cristo. That is going to be in August. The dates have been finalized, August 5 through 12. We still need men that will go see Gage Lyons or Ryan Saussman. For more information, this organization is where our former youth minister, Scott DeWitt, serves. And he will be with us during BBS this year. And you're going to hear more about his ministry and about this mission trip. And then last announcement, I promise, Adam Brucker served our church faithfully for over a decade, and then he left us, and he took off for a church in Ohio, and he sent me a text this morning, and I'll just read it word for word. Isla Grace Brucker was born at 7.49 a.m. this morning, 20 inches long, 7 pounds, 15 ounces. Mom and baby are doing great. Clap for Isla and Trina Brucker, please. That's awesome. All right, grab your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 15. We have begun, to begun a journey through the book of Acts a year ago, and then we stopped it for a while, and then we've come back to it, and now we're back to it again. And we are going to tackle a chapter today that I believe is maybe the most important chapter in the entire book of Acts. 
Now, I don't think it's the most important because of the theology in it, although we are going to grab a hold of some theology. It's the most important because if the church would not have gotten this situation, this crisis correct, they could have had some huge, huge problems, not for days, not even for years, not even for decades, but maybe for centuries. That's how big this, this problem, this crisis could have been. And so the big idea that I want you to grab a hold of today, if you don't get anything else from the message today, I want you to understand this. The church can sometimes be messy business. Another way of saying that is sometimes the church can really be a mess. And some of you, you're nodding your heads because you've experienced it. You've lived through it. Maybe you lived through it at a season of, um, you know, a, a time here at FCC. Maybe you're at FCC because you were part of another church at one time, and they went through a mess, and you said, I can't take it anymore, and you landed here. And so this isn't an exciting sermon necessarily. This isn't something, wow, we get to talk about the church in conflict. But I think it's crucially important that we learn from our brothers and our sisters in the first century world how they dealt with a crisis and, and that we apply that to our lives as individuals and as families and as a church. See, the church can really be a mess for a variety of reasons. Number one, opinions vary. Perspectives vary. And because of that, church can be a mess. I think church can be a mess sometimes because it's easy to confuse tradition with truth. And I'll be honest, I've been there at times where I found myself really fired up about something, and then I had to take a quick 30-second time out and realize, you know, that's really not necessarily that big of a deal. That's probably more of a tradition than biblical truth. At the end of the day, I think the church can be messy business because so many of us, when you get right down to it, we want the win. We want the win. And so when there's a conflict, there's just a little part of us or maybe a big old part of us, we don't want to back down. We don't want to give ground. We want the win. Let me give you some context for Acts chapter 15. In Acts chapters 13 and 14, the whole missionary journey thing begins. And Paul and his best buddy Barnabas, and we're going to talk about them next week, they set off on a missionary journey to bring the good news of Jesus Christ literally all over the world. That's their purpose. They're going, they're preaching, um, they're, they're staying for weeks and sometimes months in these communities, and really, really good things are happening. Many people are coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Conversions are happening. Baptisms are happening. Churches are being planted all over the first century world. And there is this incredible gospel momentum. If you were with us last summer, you'll remember that every week as we started our, our sermons in the book of Acts, we put one verse up on the screen. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. It was the last thing that Jesus said, according to Luke, before he ascended into heaven. And here's what he said to his disciples, you are going to be my witnesses. And you're going to be my witnesses here in Jerusalem, and in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And we are in Acts chapters 13, 14, 15, and on. This is the ends of the earth part of Jesus' prophecy. It's coming true. And so, so much positive is happening. And 
these guys, their journey wasn't a couple months. It was a couple years. It was like a 30-month journey. And they get back, and they're feeling good, and everything's exciting, and then reality hits. Conflict strikes. And it had the possibility of being forever impactful in the very worst kind of way. So I'm going to invite you to grab a Bible, turn to Acts chapter 15. Um, If you don't have a Bible, I'm going to invite you to grab the Pew Bible, and I'm going to invite you, if you don't own a Bible, to take that Bible and open it up in that place where the sticker says, please do not remove from the sanctuary, cross that out and write your name on it. And if anybody says anything to you, blame it on me. Because everyone needs a Bible. The only thing we say is we want you to read your Bible if you take a Bible. But in Acts chapter 15, I really believe we see what I would call messy church 101. If this were a Bible college class, if this were a seminary class, I think you could go and you could point to Acts chapter 15, how the church deals with conflict. And so the reality as we get to Acts chapter 15 is this. Many are coming to faith in Jesus Christ through the missionary work of Paul and Barnabas. A whole bunch of people are coming to faith. Hundreds, even thousands of people are coming to faith in Jesus Christ. But a conflict is going to arise, and I'm going to call this messy. And the point of the conflict is this. How does one become a follower of Jesus? Serious dispute breaks out over the topic of conversion. People are worried about how does one come to faith in Jesus Christ. And there's a lot of things that churches argue about. Sometimes churches argue about the bulletin. We don't like the bulletin. Or sometimes churches argue about carpet color. We don't like the carpet color. Sometimes churches argue about coffee. And by the way, if there was ever a good reason for coffee and cookies on Sunday morning, I think we heard that this morning, didn't we? Amen. Thank you. But sometimes the church needs to take a time out and say, we need to tackle this. We need to deal with this. And this is one of those things. This issue of how do you come to faith in Jesus, it's something the church has to get correct. It's something the church must get correct. And so if they don't deal with it, if they don't figure it out, if they don't solve the problem, here are some of the potential outcomes. You're looking at a momentum killer. You're looking at on the heels of the first missionary journey, there isn't going to be a second missionary journey. And all of this goodwill and excitement and momentum and good feeling, done. The second thing, unity would be all done, a unity killer. And there would be this division, and it wouldn't just be a division at the church at Antioch or the church of Jerusalem. It's got the potential to bring disunity all over the first century world. And then finally, and I think most importantly, Satan would win. We don't talk about spiritual warfare a whole lot. Um, Maybe when I bring up the term spiritual warfare, you think of Frank Peretti and books like This Present Darkness and Piercing the Darkness. I really believe in spiritual warfare. I really do. But I know this for a fact, what Satan wants more than anything else is divide Christian against Christian. I know that for a fact. That's his greatest tactic, when we're fighting with one another, when we can't get along with one another, when we're fired up about things that really don't matter in the big scheme of things. So with that, dealing with conflict 101, a biblical case study, let's dive in together. And and, and the first 
kind of jumping off point that I want to throw out for you today is an overview of what's playing out. So let me read the first couple verses. It says, some men came down from Judea to Antioch, and they were teaching the brothers, unless you were circumcised, according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. And this brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and the elders about this question. And the church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. And this news made all the brothers glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Paul and Barnabas are saying, we traveled all over the world for 30 months. We preached Jesus, we faced persecution, but at the end of the day, churches were planted, baptisms took place, God was working in a great and mighty way. And a group of people rose up and said, we've got a problem with what you're doing. We're all for the church plants. We're all for the baptisms. We're all for the momentum, but you forgot something along the way. Before a, a, before a Gentile, someone that's not a Jew, can become a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ, this group of people are saying they first have to become a Jew. And if you know much about the covenant that God had with his people in the Old Testament, it involved the big C word, circumcision. And so when a baby is circumcised at eight days of age, I don't remember it. I mean, I'm sure it probably hurt for a little while. It's not that big of a deal. When you're talking to a 40-year-old man and you're telling him all about Jesus and all about the, the death, burial, and resurrection, and oh, by the way, Dr. Luke's over here in the medical tent, um, you're talking about a, a huge challenge along the way. And so that's the issue. That's the crisis that the, the first century church is facing. How do people come to faith in Jesus? And the first thing they did, number one is this, testimonies are heard from everybody involved. Everybody gets a chance to speak. And the first group that speaks is a group of people we call the Judaizers. The Judaizers make their case, and that's in verse 5. It says, some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and they said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and be required to obey the law of Moses. Now, if you've read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, who are the Pharisees typically? Who do we consider them typically? They're the bad guys, right? They're the legalists. They're the ones that Jesus got fired up with. They're the ones that seem to always be trying to trap Jesus, and they could never treat, uh, trap him. And we kind of look at them as the bad guys. And so just sharing that word Pharisee right there probably paints your perspective of these people. Understand, these are Christ followers. These are people who were sold out to Jesus Christ. And because they were Pharisees, they left an incredible standing within Judaism itself to follow after Jesus. If you go back to the, to the Passion Week that we celebrated just a couple weeks ago, two Pharisees were the ones that actually buried Jesus, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. More than likely, they sacrificed their reputation for the rest of their life. Because other Pharisees looked at them and said, what in the world are you doing? These are Pharisees that are committed to Jesus Christ, but they believe with all their heart that Paul and Barnabas are going about it all wrong. That Gentiles must embrace Moses. 
Gentiles must embrace the law before coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Paul and Barnabas are saying, you're a Gentile, come to Jesus. The Judaizers are saying, Gentile, become a Jew, if you're a male, medical tent's over there, and then come to Jesus. And you know, we kind of chuckle about that, we kind of laugh about that, or maybe we get a little squirmy about that, but the reality is, it, it was a reality for the Judaizers. They made no bones about it. What do you mean go straight to Jesus? What do you mean just accept Jesus? What do you mean just get baptized? Absolutely not. Next slide up on the screen shows the case that they're making. Paul and Barnabas, Gentiles, straight to Jesus. The Judaizers, Gentiles, Jews, then Jesus. The next person to speak is our friend Peter. And Peter shares his personal perspective, his personal transformation. Verse 7, it says that, that Peter, after having the opportunity to talk to the crowd, says these words, brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and belief. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the disciples a yoke that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. Peter was probably thinking about Acts chapter 10 when he had that great vision that the gospel was for everyone. Maybe he was thinking about the time that Paul had to rebuke him because Peter was showing favoritism to Jewish people over Gentiles. Whatever the reason, whatever the rationale, Peter, who wasn't a part of the first missionary journey, chimes in, speaks up, and says, no, 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 no. We cannot go down that road. We cannot force this legalism into place. The next people to speak are Paul and Barnabas. And Paul and Barnabas' message is summarized in one verse, but my guess is they probably talked for a couple hours because they tell the story of the entire first missionary journey, two and a half years. Verse 12, the whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the miraculous signs and wonders God had done among them through the Gentiles, through them. To the Gentiles, through them. And so everyone's had a chance to speak. The Judaizers speak, Peter speaks, Paul and Barnabas speaks. They are at the church at Jerusalem. The leader of the church at Jerusalem is a guy by the name of James. James wrote the book of James. James was the half-brother of Jesus. James was, just without dispute, a recognized leader in the first century world. And that brings us to the second thing that I want you to see today. A clear-cut decision is reached, and it's communicated. If you were to spend time today with a book that I had to read when, um, when I was going to school, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey, you would go and find a section where he talks about in any conflict, what is the ultimate outcome that you're trying to find? Anybody remember what it is? It's a win-win. You want to find a win-win situation. 
Some situations are win-lose, some are lose-win, some are lose-lose, and some are win-win, and you always want to find a win-win. And the temptation for the church, the temptation I think sometimes for this church is to always try to find a win-win. And that is a perfect world. And sometimes there are win-win situations. This is not one of those cases. So James addresses the body. I won't give you all of it, but look down at verse 19. James speaking, he says, it is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. What's the decision? We're not going to make it difficult for people coming to Jesus. Paul and Barnabas, you are correct. Judaizers, we disagree with you. And so it's a clear-cut decision. No one can confuse what James is saying here. But along those lines, there's also what I would call a compromise that's reached. Do not needlessly offend. And let me read on for you. This may seem weird. I'll try to explain it. Verse 20. Instead, we should write to them, James here, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, to abstain from sexual immorality, to abstain from the meat of strangled animals, and to abstain from blood. For Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. Now you're sitting there saying, why would anyone want to drink blood, right? Why would anyone want to eat the meat of strangled animals? And I have a great answer for that. I have no idea. But, but here's what I know happened. It was culturally happening in the first century world by Gentile people. And so James is saying, come to Jesus. Circumcision, it's out the door. But as you come to Jesus, encourage our brand new Gentile brothers and sisters in Christ to not easily offend in the cultural practices that they're a part of. And so I would consider that a compromise. And the result, the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey would say, is absolutely incredible. Two primary results. Number one, the gospel is not compromised. There's no compromise. But secondly, catch this, unity is preserved. See, James doesn't just communicate it. He writes this letter, he or somebody wrote this letter on his behalf. And what I think happened when the the Jerusalem council broke up, people started going to all different parts of the world. Some went to Antioch, and some went south, and some went west. And they, they, they just went all over the place, and they communicated this message, and they put it in writing so there was no doubt what the message was. And because of that, the message of Jesus wins... But the unity of the first century church is preserved. You know what one of my favorite parts of Acts chapter 15 is? I don't read anywhere in, anywhere in there where Luke writes that the Judaizers were so upset, they quit the church and they said, I'm never coming back again. I'm all done. And yet, they could have. They lost. They were told, love your heart, love your passion, love your spirit, love Moses, love the law. But they were more concerned about the unity of the church than a personal win. And so I didn't read all of that, spend some time this afternoon reading all of that, but I want to wrap up my message this morning with three observations. And I told First Service this, and this is my heart, you may be really offended by something that I share in here. And it's okay to be offended. And if you are offended, I just hope you don't take it and sit on it. I hope you talk to me about it. 
or talk to one of our elders about it. But this is my heart. I'm being pretty raw this morning. And number one is this. I want you to see, and this is an observation, that the longer that someone is around Jesus, it seems like the more challenging peace and unity are in their life, especially in the context of the local church. And it shouldn't be that way. It should be the opposite. The longer you're around Jesus, the more you ought to just be all about the peace of Christ and the unity of the church and embracing the call to submission. Now, I put that on the screen because I'm guilty. I'm not standing up here saying that uh, I've never fallen prey to that. I have to work all the time to have a heart of peace and to have a spirit of unity and submission. And so I just, I throw that out there as a reflection that I don't like, that I don't want, that's not good, but comes to mind when I read Acts chapter 15. Second concluding thought, Acts chapter 15 had the potential to destroy, and I mean shut it down, this incredible but fairly new missionary work. I mean, if they don't get this right, there may not be a second missionary journey or a third missionary journey or a trip to Rome. But they got it right because ultimately, kingdom interests won the day. Ultimately, some people rose up in the midst of defeat and said, you know, I may not be really happy with James. I may not agree with James. But at the end of the day, it's really all about Jesus. At the end of the day, it's really all about the kingdom. And so here's why I put that slide up on the screen. The next time you find yourself spiritually saying to someone, put up your, your, your fists, let's fight, spiritually speaking, will you just keep that in mind? That whole kingdom interest, win the day, thought process. We will allow that to resonate through your heart and your mind. And here's my final concluding thought. I personally, Greg Taylor, I have a part to play in the peace and the unity of our church. And so do you. If you're brand new around here, if you've been here for decades and decades and decades, or anywhere in between, we all have a part to play in the peace and the unity of the church. We have to get this right. We have to take this seriously. So I told you church was going to be a little different today than it normally is. And we're going to end church with communion at stations. And so we've got the matzah bread that we think is somewhat probably like what the first Christians were using to celebrate communion. We've got six stations, and I'm going to ask the people that are manning stations to make their way to their stations right now. We've got Welch's grape juice and wine goblets. And we are going to practice communion by what is called intinction. We're going to invite you when you are ready. And you can go as a family, you can go as an individual, however you want to do it, to find your way to one of the six stations. And we're going to invite you to break off a, a piece of the matzah bread and to dip it into the grape juice. And as you do that, you're going to receive some encouragement that I can't get enough that the peace of Christ 
is with me and that the peace of Christ is with you. If you are not physically able this morning to get up and go to one of the stations and you would like communion served to you, Cody's in the back and just raise your hand, put your hand up in the air. So if you don't want him to come to you, don't raise your hand during this time. But he, he will come and he will serve you communion. But here's how the service is going to be um, interesting. It is going to end with you taking communion. And we're going to invite you to do one of two things. Just very quietly make your way out of the sanctuary. Or if you want to, return to your seat and uh, have a time just to, to commune. To think over the scripture of the day. To think over the focus of the day. There will be no more public announcements or final prayers um, after the prayer that I am about to pray. One final um, encouragement reminder I want to offer you. If you want someone to pray with you during this time, I'm going to be up front here. I'd, I'd love to pray with you during this time. And uh, J Jim and Cindy Taylor are going to be in our fireside room from now until about noon. And they would love to pray and encourage you as well. Let me pray and let's uh, celebrate the peace of Christ together. God, thank you for today. And thank you that our first brothers and sisters in Christ figured out how to deal with conflict. And God, help us to be all about your peace and, and unity and submission to Jesus, submission to the cross. Thank you that even though we've all missed the mark, our sins are forgiven if we're in Christ, if Jesus is our Savior. And so right now, we celebrate Jesus' death, we celebrate Jesus' resurrection, but we celebrate the life that we can have in Christ on this earth. May the peace of Christ rule in our hearts and our minds today and this week and for the rest of our lives. Amen.